0: Welcome to What the If News Post Thanksgiving Edition. Everybody no turkeys were harmed.
1: <laughs> with that, Matt, Ron will be very sleepy.
0: Everyone will be very sleepy. I uh, speaking of science, maybe Gabby can help us with this. With this or not, I don't know. Uh, I heard that the whole thing about Tryptophan in turkeys making you sleepy is bogus.
2: Yeah, I think it's actually just the carbs. Because you eat a ton of carbs and just a lot of food in general. So I think it's more of a general food coma thing.
0: Right. You're talking to me specifically. You're, and you're right.
2: <laughs> oh, also myself as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so, yeah. So, what we know is that the, uh, until, until recently, the uh, tryptophan, the carbs PR agency was better than the tryptophan. PR agency mm, uh, who's taking the blame for that. Uh, so already we're breaking news. Uh, welcome to What the If News. Uh, Gabby, you know, how would you describe this, this brief uh yeah, so weekly program?
2: I guess on what the if news, it's essentially us talking about the unfolding pandemic. Well, unfolded and continuing to unfold <laughs> yeah. the pandemic because it's already the worst
0: here. origami project ever.
2: <laughs> Just keeps going. Um and I try to pick out news articles that I think are interesting and explain them from a scientist's perspective and sometimes kind of read the papers behind them that scientists are talking about and that are published in scientific journals and summarize them in a way that makes sense to literally anyone who's not a scientist, because sometimes they're dense.
0: Indeed, indeed. And Matthew Stanley is here. This so is true. Um, and how, how would you describe your, what do you bring to the table, Matt? Um, Not much, frankly. I <laughs> of Stuffing? cranberry.
1: Um, I'm a historian of science, so sometimes I can provide some historical context or uh, 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 other uh, uh, far perspective things. Uh, but uh, yeah,
0: historian. No, no, historians of science are very good, and historians are something we're going to need a lot of.
1: Well, 2020 certainly has produced a lot of history. So yeah, a lot of that's true. we yeah, will be written true. on this year.
0: Gabby, uh, you sent in, I will uh, read this article and uh, before I, let's say no spoilers, but what is it that, what, what feeling did you get when you saw this story?
2: Not panic. It was, (laughs) I I, I really want to set that one forward, not panic, but my thought was, oh, this is going to make a lot of people lose their minds so, this is why I pulled it up so I can talk about why scientists are concerned but not losing our heads about this, and like why it's something we're addressing but not something that we're ending the world over
0: yes right on that you know that that would be a fun show title Keep your heads how to keep <laughs> your heads Good idea. in in in, in be bi- in bi- 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 guillotine times um, <laughs> <laughs> this is from c n n uh also known as, to us old folks, the Cable News Network, I believe was what it was called, uh, founded by Ted Turner. I'm going way back. Uh, <laughs> the uh, reporter was uh, Ala El Asar, and uh, the headline is, An Oregon Mink Farm Has Reported a COVID-19 Outbreak. So already I have an image of minks, uh, creatures. Reporting. Hey, <laughs> the news for minks. We got tra- the news for the news for badges. Um, and here, here's what it says. I'll just read it real quick here. Uh, in Oregon, is from CNN an Oregon mink farm has reported an outbreak of a coronavirus among mink and farm workers. <laughs> oh, oh, and farm and humans. Yeah. Right. It's uh, not that
1: the minks are running the farm, right?
0: We, 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 we still don't know. Mm-hmm. We still don't know. Um, 10 mink samples submitted, all came back positive, 10 out of 10, for coronavirus. The Oregon Department of Agriculture, ODA, said in a news release on Friday, the farm has been placed under quarantine, meaning, quote, no animal or animal product can leave the farm until further notice, according to the ODA. Uh, I see a Pixar movie. Um, This farmer... Uh, sorry, the farmer and his staff have been advised to self-isolate after multiple coronavirus cases were reported among workers on the farm. The release said, quote, we have been engaged with the Oregon mink industry for some time, providing information on biosecurity to prevent the introduction of SARS-CoV-2, and we're ready to respond. ODA veterinarian Dr. Ryan Schultz said the farmer did the right thing by self-reporting symptoms very early. I gotta say, this is not something I think about, but yeah. farmers also are our eyes on the, uh, yeah. on the animal world. Um, the farmer did the right thing by self-reporting symptoms very early, and he is now cooperating with us and the Oregon Health Authority and taking care of his animals and staff. So far, we have no reports of mink mortalities linked to the virus, but that could change as the virus progresses. Nothing about humans mentioned Mm -hmm. (laughs) whatsoever. We'll assume that they are all fine. Uh, I'll just jump to the end here. There is currently no evidence that animals, including mink, play a significant role in transmitting the virus to humans. According to the CDC and the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the risk of animals spreading COVID-19 to humans is considered low. The USDA announces confirmed coronavirus cases in animals each time it is found in a new species, and all confirmed cases in animals are posted on the department's website. I'll put that link there. CNN's Sherry Mossberg and Brian Reese contributed to this report. Uh, So don't panic unless you are a mink, in which case you should probably be on guard at all times.
2: Well, I feel like the minks are already a little bit uh, screwed because they're they're being fur farmed, so yeah. it's not really they're panicking already. I think as a general state, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but I would say yeah, it's definitely like a a don't panic thing. So they they do mention that the risk of it transmitting to people is is low. It's not we're not worried about now minks running loose in the streets of New York and infecting everyone. That's not really what the concern is here.
0: Although it it made, it it said workers at the farm and the farmer and the animals both have the virus. Yes. But there is no connection, possibly no connection between
2: them. No, so the way that this works is a human, a sick human was working at the farm and gave it to the minks. In Uh, Denmark, I think it is right now, Yeah. they're on like super lockdown because some of the minks gave it back to the people at the farm. So this is a thing where this is essentially animal to human transmission. It is kind of funny when you think about the fact that we got it from a bat and gave it to a person, and then a person eventually gave it to a mink, (laughs) and then the mink gave it back to a person. It's like the longest game of virus telephone. Um,
1: This is an elaborate move in the longstanding bat-mink war.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you know, all the conspiracy theories about who made this virus to uh, attack the United States. Nah, this is is a bat-war of bat aggression against minks.
0: Mm-hmm. and we're we're just caught in the middle you're caught
2: in the crossfire
0: yeah I mean, and maybe the bats are confused because they see batman and they <laughs> think oh so so humans also wear bat coats and mm-hmm. they want to make sure that it doesn't that doesn't become a, you know clearly batman is not welcome in many places he's always alone <laughs> so that's right. yeah. clearly that's, you know, they just want to keep that yeah you know, going um wh- now here, here here's a ridiculously basic question which is, which is my privilege to ask at these (laughs) situations. Why can't, what's the big deal about a virus jumping species? Why is that so rare? And why do, why is that something to freak out about or not?
2: Well, one of the things I'll say is I don't, I mean, this might just be me. I'm sure another scientist might disagree with me. Um, But I don't know if I would necessarily consider this a jump because Mm. we've shown very early that SARS-CoV-2 can infect a wide range of other animals. And actually, so ferrets, a closely related species, were being used in labs to study SARS-CoV-2 in the early days because we couldn't get enough uh, mice that, I think it was ACE2, I guess mice don't express it, but basically mice were not infectable with SARS-CoV-2. So a lot of people were turning to ferrets before we had a, a good, you know, mutant mouse setup to work with, and had bred enough of them for people to work mm-hmm. with. So we kind of knew that this was a species we should watch out for, and that it's potential that we could pass it back to them. Fortunately, we can't pass it to things like pigs or chickens. Actually, it's funny. While we were talking, I pulled up um, the. It's at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Uh, USDA announces confirmed cases in animals. So I actually just went and like pulled that up because I was curious, and. It's a very interesting list because, of course, it says things like seven tigers, 15 minks, three lions, 12 dogs, 20 cats. Uh, I think that's actually about it. But it's, it's, a, it's a weird smattering of animals.
0: And a partridge in a wet market. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. And so the, the thing with, you know, us being concerned about this is more like what you're seeing in Denmark right now, where after, pass, after the virus passed through thousands of minks, the virus is changing a little bit. And the changes will probably reflect an increased ability to transmit to minks. Um, that tends to be things that viruses do. They adapt to whatever host they're in. In humans, we've seen the D614G mutation take prevalence because that seems to facilitate spread between people. I'm sure eventually, if this was let to run rampant through thousands of minks, it would probably do the same thing. Um, we don't I we don't think that's gonna create. An instant murder virus. That's the part that I wanted to tell people. This is not going to create a minx murder, murder minx. virus. Yeah, this <laughs> is, it's not like it's going to bounce back, and then we have super COVID uh, twenty. Um, it's
0: Planet of the Minks.
2: Yeah, it's it's not going to instantly murder people. It doesn't seem to be any worse. The, the in in Denmark, it does have some mutations, and it doesn't seem like it's any worse than you know what we already give each other. It seems like it's exactly the same, basically. But the concern is that as the spike protein changes to become more, I guess, mink, we'd say Mm -hmm. mink-tropic, but mink-adapted, I guess you could say, it might not match our vaccines. So we want to quash the mink strain as fast as possible because here we are on the cusp of vaccines, and if people suddenly start transmitting the mink strain to each other and that gets super, I I guess, you know, becomes a predominant strain somewhere, the the vaccine may not be effective against it anymore. Yeah. We want okay. we want to quash any weird variants of it, even if they work the same and essentially like, oh, it's not any more or less deadly. We we don't want it to mess with our vaccine efforts.
0: That's really So really, what it comes down to is, uh, I suppose this like you're talking about the spike protein. So we're all familiar with the images, the illustrations of uh, the coronavirus. It looks like a sphere, like a Death Star uh, or a bubble. <laughs> if you want a benign yeah. image, why why be judgmental? Um, and it has all these spikes, uh, like a porcupine or something. And those spikes, uh, you're saying the, the the protein that makes up that spike is, that's what our bodies react to first? Is that why, in other words, our, the vaccine that we've, that that hopes looks like it's coming, is designed to attack that protein. And if that protein is different, then the vaccine won't work.
2: Yeah, basically. So what the vaccines do is they essentially make your body develop antibodies against the spike protein. And we, the the spike protein can essentially change, change, like it's the most commonly targeted uh, by your body, by antibodies region of the virus, because it's outside. It's very visible essentially to your body. So (laughs) if it changes, then you might not be able to air quote, your antibodies might not be able to air quote, see it and then target it.
1: Okay. So I should say the the mix makes me think of something that I've heard people talking about a bit over the last several months, which is um, can your pets get COVID? And could you get COVID from your pets? Um, A lot of people, I think, got anxious when they heard about the the tigers at the Bronx Zoo being Mm. diagnosed with COVID, that that meant that their house cats could be carrying it as well. Do we need to worry about that?
2: Not really, because for one... It doesn't seem like it runs rampant in them. It seems to be like a, a, a weird errant infection. I mean, I know in the Hong Kong Chihuahua, I think it was, or Pomeranian, right. what was it? It was, it <laughs> was can't something like some that. Dog. But it it was spoken about so ominously. I remember my mom texting me. She's like, "Animals can get it. Like, watch a your Hong cat."
0: Kong pom.
2: Yeah, and it's like mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't think for the most part, if you think about animals, they're kind of sequestered from each other a little bit. Dogs maybe play with each other more, but I think you're a bigger risk to your average house cat than vice versa. And I think they have to be infected at really, really high amounts of virus, if I remember correctly, especially for cats. Like, I think you needed to give them a lot of virus, which I think the general thought is don't sneeze in your cat's face if you have (laughs) coronavirus. I I think that maybe like your cat would think it's just a little bit rude to just go up and just really just sneeze on them. Um. So,
0: well, just yet, yet another reason why uh, 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 the I want a little a little mask for the cat. Just <laughs> you know. Uh and by the way, no mink coat for the cat this year. Sorry. No. Nah, In fact, you know. all those people, all those people who feel pressure whoever you are to buy a mink coat for whoever special person, you're off the hook this year. Um and uh have we ever, Matt, this is more of a historical question. Have, or either of you actually, have, have I am not aware, aside from like insects, for, uh, of, of us being very aware of a mass pandemic among another species from our own? For instance, I remember, you know, beetles, oh, oh the beetles are all dying, or trees, you know, some of them, there'll be a plant virus. But have we, have we ever seen something?
1: Well, these days, uh, by these days, I mean, like, in my lifetime, um, mm-hmm. it comes up regularly for food animals. Um, so every, I don't know, every several years or so, there'll be a, a pandemic among chickens or pigs or something. Um, and usually there's a, a mass culling um, where they're all killed. Um, uh, in terms of non-domesticated... That, that's, that's-
0: that's, that's sort of an act of that—that's us, not not the virus. Although the I guess the idea no, is that the, right. the, the humans virus go through
1: and kill them all to um right, right, right. and then you know we get a, a spike in the prices of McRib or whatever um, as the as the supply goes down. Um, in terms of non-domesticated animals, I think it is less frequent, but I remember um, the uh, the bat white nose disease, if I remember right, mm. from a few years ago. Um, Gabby, I don't know if you're familiar with
2: that, what I'm actually things? not familiar with. My thought was just going to be like bird flu.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So several years ago, bef- well before, uh, coronavirus was a thing. Um, there was an observation that, uh, uh, bats had a kind of fungal infection that was, uh, spreading rapidly. Um, and I can't remember any details because right. now it's been superseded by other things, but.
0: Or for instance, AIDS they say came from monkeys right and that was one idea but isn't it that well we we get viruses we we get uh you know dangerous things from other creatures uh periodically but it seems like i didn't hear about like you know millions of monkeys dying in africa from some disease um is it I don't know, maybe. maybe, Well, um, so
2: partially what that has to do is, uh, think about it with like SARS-CoV-2, bats don't really die of it because it's well adapted to them, but it's really once it jumps into a new species and they sort of have this rocky period, which, I mean, our rocky period is an entire pandemic. I recognize that that's a euphemism. Um, (laughs) It's, that's when you really get the problems, the the die-offs. Oh, so, you know, it is. I guess I,
0: I realize what really a, a comparable situation in a way is invasive species or that, uh, for instance, I'm, you know, there have been situations, right, where a ship came to a, a new continent and it carried some kind of microbe or something that none of the, some kind of creature on that continent uh, had adapted to. And that's
2: basically the yep. situation we face. So uh, it's, yeah.
0: it's all this travel that creates these pandemic situations because you're immediately introduced to something that's had a long time to evolve that your body has no
1: experience. Yeah, with. I think we usually, in terms of invasive species, we notice the uh, uh, predator and parasite relationships more easily than the mm-hmm. Um So I'm not sure that, I mean, that's a really good question that I'd have to ask invasive species experts about. Um, uh, but certainly we've got plenty of examples of um, newly competing organisms uh, causing lots of trouble when they go into a new place.
0: Yeah. Th- those are situations that evolution isn't, no- that isn't normal in evolution, that you suddenly have almost like a high contrast clash.
1: Well, it's just the the speed of introduction of the new species um, is much faster than, as you say, than evolution usually works. Um, yeah. So like when, um, you know, in Polynesia, places like Hawaii and Tahiti, um, had lots of, uh, birds that nested on the ground because that was, that was fine for their environment for very long periods of time. But then when Europeans imported rats, uh, the rats just came and ate all of the, the eggs in the, in the ground nests, um. So if that had happened over sort of normal evolutionary speeds, then the birds would have had many, many generations to try to adapt to this new predator. Um, but instead, it happened uh, in a biological sense overnight. Um, so they've had an extreme, extremely difficult time adapting to that. So they might just be wiped out. But that happens a lot in natural selection. Right? A species just dies off and that's it. Right. That's why we don't have to worry about tyrannosaurs running through the streets of Manhattan anymore.
2: Maybe true, in
0: true. your side of Manhattan no. <laughs> <laughs> totally, up on the upper West side, it's a disaster. <laughs> um by the way, speaking of the uh, the dangerous uh, law of unintended consequences, uh, I do want to give a warning to the people of Chicago and the people of earth uh, thereby because um uh, there have been adorable videos, so I agree, but they have been letting the penguins from the zoo wander around various cultural institutions in Chicago to, because there's no humans allowed to go there. So they're, they're, and they figured it's a win-win, let the penguins, you know, get some air and some variety, they say, which is good for their health. But they've let the penguins run amok in the science museum. And then they let them run amok in the art museum. And I figure at this point, they have given, they know too much now, the penguins, and we're doomed. Because
1: are uh, you saying as soon as the penguins can create art that's it for human <laughs> civilization
0: well right. actually actually they should come work in film because like the rest of us here on this side of the uh, of the career fence uh, we know just just a little bit about science and just a little bit about art and the combination of that is total total disaster but you'll make a lot of money if you're lucky uh, no i think the penguins i think planet of the penguins is is coming. Oh, that would be great. Would totally I, that'd
2: that. be a lot cuddlier than Planet of the It'd be adorable. It. Exactly. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. But 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 are they so cuddly when they are your master?
2: <laughs>
0: this is
1: cuddly. That's the that's the test, right? Will the, the penguins be corrupted by their power?
0: <laughs> that's right. That's right. I hope I I could see this as a, um speaking of movies, I would like to see Tim Burton direct a Pixar movie <laughs> called Planet of the Penguins. Yeah. Let's see what happens. Last question. This is a big one. This is really a what the if. So maybe we'll do a what the if show on this. But uh, Gabby, the vaccine is coming and it looks very, it seems to be very effective. So hopefully that will continue to be the truth and safe. Um, Is it possible that we are at a situation now where anything that comes up, we can create a vaccine for it within reason, um, but like the next animal. You know, thing the next thing that comes out of an animal in a wet market or something, we might be able to stop it in its tracks.
2: You know, honestly, I don't know. I, I don't think vaccines were ever going to be able to crank out within a month, because mm, the way mm. we test vaccines is, you know, we we test them in phases. We are very careful about how um, how, how we administer these to people. What the most effective dosage is. It's it's like when I see people talking about how. You know, who who gets to test like, you know, testing this thing, how it's like rushed or something like that. Like the fact of the matter is that like, you know, I think between the three trials, over a hundred thousand people have gotten these vaccines and they're fine. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a yeah. lot of testing and it takes a lot of time. But what's really clear to me and it, it's still mind blowing, is, you know, COVID nineteen's a year old. Um, and we really only started we really only clocked it in like mid-December. So it hasn't been even a year really that we've actively known that this virus exists. And in that time, we have gotten its genetic sequence, which keep in mind that did that was like impossible. You know, if this had happened like 30, 40 years ago, it would have been, we, this, this pandemic might have stretched on for a lot longer. We might, have, we might have not realized we were in a pandemic before everything got like, you know, how bad it was in April in New York. And in a, in a year, we have developed a, three effective vaccines. I think two of them are by newer vaccine methods. I mean, the mRNA vaccine is completely unprecedented. That's awesome. It's the first yeah. time we've ever done that, and it proved really effective. So I think looking forward, the worldwide hustle that we were able to do in order to fight this is awesome. I think it bodes well for the future. I do still question, you know, Hopefully, we'll get this anti-science sentiment under control um in some regions of the world. And I think if we do that, then, yeah, I think we really might have a chance of the next time one of these things crops up, just really tamping it down a lot faster. But who knows? I think I'm an optimist when it comes to stuff like this, and I definitely know right. back in the very beginning, I was really optimistic that it wouldn't become a pandemic. I thought I, I definitely overestimated people's willingness to actually listen to experts. <laughs> So who who knows?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, we'll wrap up here with just some thoughts from some of our listeners. By the way, uh, Matt, you mentioned um, the question of uh, the concern over can your pets get COVID? <laughs> and we actually, we addressed that in one of our episodes um, a little while back. Yeah, we we'll chatted about it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I'll look to put a link and uh, someone in our audience, I believe he was a veterinarian, sent us had put together a whole book uh, for dog owners in particular, um, and was still, you know, uh, helpful to, to non-dog owners uh, about why you shouldn't worry about it. But here's what you can do. Uh, oh, that's it was really awesome. really helpful. So uh, I'll, cool. I'll post that okay. again. And we have a uh, email from one of our longest running uh, listeners and supporters, Bill, in Winchester, Virginia, and Bill says, "I have a what the if." So he has an idea for our What The If show, that's our Friday show where we just take a thought, come up with some crazy idea and we run with it. He says, I have a What The If for Gabby. What the if the little kids growing up in the COVID-19 era have impaired immune systems, not from the virus, in all caps, but from the ultra disinfected environment their parents are providing for them to protect them with all the hand washing, disinfecting, mask wearing, isolating, online schooling, other people avoiding, are the kids now in an environment that will impair their acquisition of healthy microbiota? Uh, your friend and super duper effort, Bill.
2: Yeah, cool, so I, I, there's a couple different things I wanna talk about with this. So first, there is something called the hygiene hypothesis, which is really interesting. And it essentially puts forward that there are certain diseases that arise today which were not as common in the past, as a result of the fact that we do live in a very sanitized environment. And so because we essentially evolved over millions of years, this immune system that's constantly on the lookout because it expects us to be parasitized and have all sorts of, I guess, like fungal infections are constantly fighting off bacteria, that now when we eliminate that, we see an increase in autoimmune disorders because, you know, people have, what we would consider today ramped up, but just regular, I guess, paleolithic immune systems that are attacking themselves because they don't actually have a target. There have been, there there haven't, I don't, as far as I know, I don't think there have been any really comprehensive studies to test this. The only thing I've personally have encountered is a case study, so just one person, who actually controlled his Crohn's disease by infecting himself with Trichurus trichurus, which is a human... Um, intestinal parasite, and it was really interesting because his flare-ups would only occur when his body was clearing, after his body had mostly cleared the parasitic infection. Um, so who knows? Again, it's one of these things where no, we haven't really concretely tested this, but it does seem to some extent like, you know, if you give the body something else to target, it will back off on targeting you but we need to figure out what the extent of that is so it doesn't just self-destruct someone. Interesting. Uh,
0: But our children, so uh, my thought is that, you know, and, and Bill is being a bit tongue in cheek here, that our houses really aren't that clean. Actually, my fear would be more, and again, this is something we don't know yet, and hopefully it doesn't turn out to be the case. My fear would be more that there's just so many toxins around. Or so many clean, you know, you were just using cleaning fluid and stuff like that so much. That can't be helpful. Yeah. So I, that stuff.
2: I guess my next part is is like, um, so healthy microbiota, you get that from the stuff that you eat. And honestly, most people get that through like most babies get that through breast milk. Um, actually, a number of the sugars in it are stuff that uh, an infant, if I remember correctly, can't digest, but that are digested by specific bacteria, specific gut bacteria um that are thought to be healthy so it actually it, it is something that's promoted from literally like right when you're born is getting healthy microbiota and considering i don't think anyone's bleaching uh, <laughs> breast milk before they give it to their kid or something like that i think that should be fine as far as i guess like you know the hygiene hypothesis type thing of you know you get sick by like little colds or whatever um my fundamental thing here is just kids are still really gross um <laughs> and I feel like if you've watched a child even in this for more than like five minutes, they are still rubbing their hands against their nose, even through the mask. They, I, I think I read something of like that this parent sent their kid off to school or whatever, and they came back in a different mask because they swapped it with a friend. Because um, they're like, oh, this one's cooler. It has a dinosaur on it. Um, so I, I think really kids will be fine. Kids are resilient for one. I, I don't think it's something where if you don't get it, when you're like newborn baby or whatever, you're gonna never get it. And you know, it's not like this is gonna last for, you know, a decade. I mean, knock on wood, maybe I just cursed us. But you know, I really (laughs) don't think this is gonna last for a decade, which is I think the only significant amount of time where you'd see it actually make a difference. Um, And again, throughout it, children are going to continue to be gross. So I think they're gonna be, I think they're gonna be fine. (laughs) All right. Matt, do you think kids are gross?
0: You have oh, yeah, virtual yeah, no, no front row no experience. Potential. Kids are gross. Yeah. Um,
1: and uh, if you're thinking of having kids, go do some gross things for a while and see how you feel about that for, for practice.
0: <laughs> and if the gross things start talking back to you. <laughs> then you're already a parent. You're good and go. you enjoy that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excellent.
2: Excellent.
0: Um, well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, Bill, if that hope that answers your question, anyone who's listening, if you have any questions, email us feedback at whattheif.com or just go to our website, whattheif.com. You can send us a message right there on the front page. Uh, also on there, you can subscribe. If you haven't subscribed, do so. That means the uh, episode will show up automatically on your um, pod podcasting app whatever it is you're using to listen to us you can subscribe right within that app also within that app no matter what it is no matter what company it comes from no matter what species wrote it i believe you can leave us a review uh if there are any minks listening <laughs> leave us a review we you know uh,
1: and make never, a break for it while you can
0: yeah <laughs> <gotcha. Run, laughs> alive, and 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 you'll need some podcasting while you're on you refugees from land. the humans so uh so do that for us um, again. whattheif.com dot com and uh, within your app, leave us a review and a rating. That would be fantastic. Matt, uh, anything coming up? You you had a lecture coming up
1: uh, today, yes, but today um, by the time, what time this is posted uh, in about an hour. So okay,
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe it'll be there for other people after. The
1: um, that's right. So yeah, it's uh, with One Day University. Um, and I think some of them are recorded for posterity.
0: Uh, for oh, people. although one day university, maybe it is just like nope. Sorry, one day, one day and down. You're yeah, down. um, and the sub, What is the subject of that?
1: Uh, I will be speaking about uh, Albert Einstein, our uh, oh, our I favorite guess. fashion model and uh, <laughs> yeah. stylist.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and a reminder: those of you who are out uh, buying uh, holiday gifts remotely. Um, or even in person if you do it really fast uh, with a mask on. Uh, Matt's book, Einstein's War, is available in uh, hardcover and paperback mm-hmm. and m- maybe mink cover. I'm not sure. That would be a special <laughs> edition. Yeah, that would be the special edition. That's Especially. a paperback
1: edition. fits nicely in a
0: stocking. So check it out. Perfectly. Yes, yes. Get it in your bookstore. Einstein's War by Matthew Stanley. Uh, Gabby, anything you would like to promote?
2: No, I'm boring.
0: <laughs> you have a book? You, you, will you ever write a book?
2: Uh yeah. Actually I did nano this month and I, I won. So You did. Yeah. Oh, wow. So and you won. Yeah, well it's the whole thing about nano is you write fifty thousand words in a month. So I did actually successfully do that. But
0: Good for you. That's great. And decade
2: what what's the stuff. uh
0: was it like a fiction story? What was Yeah,
2: it? yeah, I, I write fiction in my free time. So
0: And so you won't tell us what it was? What you know, the plot?
2: I, I will tell you if it gets published, but I write very aggressively sword and sorcery, like hashtag cringe oh. fantasy. So I, yeah, it's, we, we will see. I'm on like draft eight. So. Fantastic. Right. fantastic. Cool.
0: I, I, I don't know if you know I'll give a plug for, we uh, are what the if show that's currently up uh, with, with Tom Merritt, science fiction author and uh, beloved global podcaster. Uh, but he has a very long running famous show, uh, Sword and Laser. Um, and they also do a lot of writing. Uh, talk. There,
2: so you might be interested in that. Check it out. I need to expand my podcast listening further.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sword and laser. All right, everyone. Thank you. Um, I hope you are well, whether you are human or mink, or if you're a bat, you know, I hope your if your nose is white, it's simply a fashion choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I uh, hope you had a nice holiday and uh, staying well, staying safe, and wearing a mask. We will see you on Friday for What The If, and then next week again, What The If News. Thanks for listening.